This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Western Christians are paralyzed in our ability to recognize the need to prepare for trying times, even to accept the need to identify the coming imposter, the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist. Why is that? Why is it that Western Christians seem to have such a hard time to consider preparing for trying times? Well, one of the reasons is that truth is often hard to swallow. Like vitamins and vegetables, we have to risk, we must, we must eat them or risk degeneration and even death. And the word tribulation, oh my goodness, that's like eating the worst vegetable that you can imagine. It conjures images that we don't want to contemplate and therefore ignore from pulpit to pew at our peril. And it's really lamentable that our refusal to contemplate the possibility of tribulation has set the trap for the massively pressurized political and spiritual environment. It's going to propel the masses, perhaps even many or even most professing Christians, to embrace the enticing promises of a counterfeit Christ. So, just as the promise of godless liberty, equality, and fraternity compelled the bloody French Revolution, so the imposter's promise of godless peace, prosperity, will compel postmodern man into the arms of the man who would be God and is called the son of perdition. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to weave together a number of different things that all tie together into one picture. Whether or not we like the picture is not the point. The point is it is a biblical picture and one that we desperately need to face. Now, if you're going to talk about this infamous word tribulation, then we have to have some framework, something other than just the general chatter that takes place among most Christians concerning that word. Because the reality is that word doesn't even appear in the Bible. Tribulation. You say, well, yes, it does. Jesus even used it. Yes, what he used is a word, the word great tribulation. A very specific period of time in the latter edge of the latter days, just before the day of the Lord. The great tribulation. But there's no other period specifically talked about as the tribulation period. Did you know that? It's true. Everybody that knows anything about the Bible will admit that. So where did this come from? Where did this term tribulation come from? Well, it's not that difficult to figure out. It comes from a Greek word called flipsis. Flipsis, kind of difficult to pronounce. Flipsis, which basically means pressure. So the word flipsis, the Greek word Flipsis used quite a number of different times in the scriptures, not concerning a period called the tribulation, but just concerning a period of trials and pressures. It means pressure. It means increasing pressure. It means severe pressure. It means pressure that really feels like 
real pressure. Not just pretend pressure, not just the kind of things that most Americans think of as pressure, when you just didn't have enough money to pay a particular bill this month. That's not much of the way of pressure, according to the Bible. The kind of pressure that the Bible is talking about is supreme pressure. It's the kind of pressure that affects body, soul, and spirit. It's real pressure. So when we think that the Greek word flipsis really means pressure, and that the Bible doesn't really use the term tribulation other than in one place, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, called the Great Tribulation, then we must rethink and reassess how we look at this subject of pressure and when it comes, why it comes, and how we should respond to it. Because it always means suffering in some way. So the Apostle Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings. And if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Notice he didn't say trials. He didn't say light problems. He didn't say the kind of problems that people generally experience. No, he called them fiery trials. In other words, they're severe. They're nothing to, they're not an easy day for a lady, so to speak. There's something to be very prepared for. Very prepared for, because if you're not prepared for the fiery trials, you're not prepared at all. Not from God's perspective, because the whole Bible is about preparing you and I for those times. In fact, the Apostle Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind to be sober. In other words, serious-minded. It's time for us, he said, to really get serious about our faith, about the kingdom of God. He says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hmm. The Apostle Peter knows something about suffering. In fact, he was crucified upside down. He knows a little bit about suffering. Yet, the Christian community, and particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, want to honor him as the first pope. Well, the popes that want to aggrandize themselves with fancy clothing and living in the largest mansion in the world don't have a clue about the first pope, if indeed Peter was the first pope. And we have no scripture to specifically say such a thing, and so we move forward from there. This matter of pressure, this matter of tribulation, this matter of suffering, 
and the matter of what Jesus called the Great Tribulation. You see, if those things are true, then you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to be seriously considering whether or not we individually, whether you're a mom or a dad, a a grandfather, grandmother, pastor, youth pastor, we ought to be seriously considering whether we ourselves are prepared to endure such fiery trials. And if not, why not? When we get back, we're going to talk about perhaps why we might not be prepared as Western Christians, American Christians, for such an event. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Are you prepared to suffer for the sake of Christ? Now, don't answer too quickly. Don't raise your hand. Don't give an immediate affirmation because you may or may not be ready. It might You might theoretically be ready, but not actually be ready. Because if you're not preparing, if your mind and your heart is not prepared for such an eventuality, you're not ready, no matter how much theoretically you think you might be. People that are given the opportunity to do something that's challenging say, oh, I can do that. And then you give them the opportunity to do it, and they fall flat on their face. Because their feeling that they can do it is not the same as being able to do it. Now, if, as the Bible says, every Christian will endure suffering or tribulation or trials, that means that from God's perspective, you and I are capable of enduring. Now, mentioning the word endure, apparently we are, because Jesus said several times, and certainly there in Matthew chapter 24, after describing the things that would leading up to the end of the age, he calls them the beginning of sorrows. Then he says this, and blessed are those who endure to the end. Those who endure to the end shall be saved, he says. Well, what does that mean? Those who endure to the end. Obviously, he's not just talking about those that have made a confession of faith sometime. He's talking about enduring something. There's something that has to be endured. What is it? What is it that has to be endured or that we have to be prepared to endure? Let's put it that way. Because no one wants to have to endure anything horrific. Let's suppose that you have a vision for climbing the highest peak in the world, Mount Everest. The highest peak in the world, Mount Everest, it has become such a drawing that hundreds, 
perhaps even thousands a year, eventually make the effort to climb that peak. Why? It's hard, friends. It's harder than you can even imagine. It's even harder than most of the people that have the yearning to climb it imagine. Until, of course, they're in it, in the climb, but perhaps the last 2,000 feet called the death range. Ah, where you can't breathe anymore, where the winds are so strong and the cold is so great that so many perish, not to mention the massive avalanches that fall occasionally. But people don't really think about those things. They want to climb Everest. And they prepare. They prepare technically. They prepare physically. They prepare mentally as best they can. They prepare, they become acclimated. They spend a great deal of time acclimating at base camp at 18,000 feet. But even then, they're not really prepared for the likelihood of what is to be encountered. The trials, the tribulations, they're not necessarily prepared to endure to the end. They want to be prepared, but they're not prepared. Now, undoubtedly, as you listen to this program, you want to be prepared. It's in your mind and in your heart to be prepared, but most likely you are not prepared. Because in the American climate, in fact, in the whole Western world, it's almost impossible to be prepared. And why is that? Well, one of the reasons it is, is, and I want to share just a few words from an article that came out December 28th of last year in the Epic Times. It was called, The Fear of Suffering is Driving Us Crazy. And it wasn't even talking about spiritual fear. It wasn't even talking about the kind of end-time fear that we're talking about. It's talking about our general fear of suffering in America and in the Western world. So here are just a few excerpts from this article. The primary purpose of society shifted in recent decades from protecting innocent human life to eliminating suffering. But our suffering phobia has triggered a harmful society neurosis, says the writer. He goes on to say that eliminating suffering is impossible. Not only is it the, the goal utopian, but it leads to ever more extreme distortions of decency and a collapse of rationality, which ironically can cause the very evil that suffering abolitionists yearn so desperately to prevent. He's absolutely right. Think about what's happened in our society. Mothers, terrified of letting their children play on jungle gyms, athletic equipment, they just... They just can't bear having their child take a risk. Now, that used to be at the very heart of what it meant to be an American. Willingness to take risks, to grow up, to be a man, so to speak, to take risks. But anymore, even the law wants to characterize such opportunities afforded by parents as child abuse. In other words, we're waging an all-out war against even the most remote 
reasonable opportunities to suffer in any way. Somehow, we have gained the idea, embraced the idea, that any suffering or injury is bad. But if that really were true, we would never have done anything. The founders would have never come to America. The Puritans would never have set foot in the Pinto, the Nina, or the Santa Maria to come to America. No, it was the Mayflower. That was Columbus, Pinto, Nina, and Santa Maria. They would never have set foot in the Mayflower. Columbus would have never set foot in his ships to come to the Americas. The Puritans would never have set forth in those four boatloads to come over to these shores. The risks would have been deemed too great. You see, suffering is directly related to risk. Danger is related to risk. So then we have to measure the consequences versus the reward. Everything in life has to be measured, reward versus consequence. Or reward versus risk. Reward versus risk. So, if we look at life as always risk, we will never risk. We will never prepare ourselves for suffering at any level, but we'll do everything possible to avoid it. Now, if that is your mindset as a professing Christian, you will definitely not be ready during the season coming soon. As the end of the age grows closer and closer and closer, and the testing rises, and the persecution level rises, you will not be ready. You can't possibly be ready. Because you don't want to be ready. You think it's going to just be some kind of a lark. In fact, you think that you're just going to be, as they say, out of here. Really. That's how Americans think. That's how the majority of Americans think. And even their pastors are inculcating this kind of utopian view that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. The question is, why are we so ready to accept that thinking? Would you like to know why? We want to. Because we don't want to suffer. We don't, we fear suffering. It's driving us crazy, as this article in the Epic Times says. It's turning our entire society upside down in its thinking. And the entire Western world is straight arming the very kingdom of God and the very things that Jesus and the disciples said are coming. We said, no way. Ain't going to happen on my watch. Don't we have a pre-trib rapture? That's what my pastor said 
Well, was, was he able to actually point out chapter and verse? No, he, he couldn't do that. Why couldn't he do that? Because it's not in the Bible. That's why. When some of the chief proponents, those who have marketed and taught the pre-trib rapture doctrine that only came about about 150 years ago, those who have taught that have appeared on this program, my friends. And we've had an honest, heart-to-heart conversation about it. No arguments. We don't do arguments here on this program. A man convinced against his will will be of the same positions, his same opinion still. So we discuss. We discuss what God has said, what he hasn't said. We discuss the whys and wherefores and so on. And then we have to leave each person, both guest and myself, host, and also the listeners, to determine what they're going to believe. So when John Wolford from Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the preeminent pre-trib rapture doctrine teachers, appeared on this program years ago. And I asked him specifically, is there any scripture that you can point to that specifically lays out the doctrine of a pre-trib rapture? Would you be interested in knowing what his answer was? He said no. So then another more recent leader who publishes many, many books about the end times. And by the way, I I value an awful lot of what this particular writer uh, says, and we've had him on this program a number of times, not particularly to discuss the pre-trib rapture, because I know what he believes there but to discuss an awful lot of other things that are valuable that he has to say. So I asked him very pointedly, I said, well, do you, are you aware of any scripture that specifically supports the doctrine of the pre-trib rapture? What do you think his answer was? No. So then I followed it up with this question. Well, if you don't believe that there's any specific passage of Scripture that supports the pre-trib rapture, then why do you teach it as if it is doctrinal truth? Would you like to know what his answer was? Well, I just believe it. Well, friend, why would we just believe something that even the most respected so-called End times teachers don't act, can't actually prove in their own minds and hearts. Why would we do that? It's because we want to. Why do we want to? Because we don't want to consider the possibility that we might have to suffer for Jesus' sake. That's why. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. In other words, we're led about by our flesh rather than our faith. Very simple. It does not take a a, a theologically educated uh, seminarian to understand this. In fact, that may actually prohibit you from understanding because 
You're so inculcated with a certain line of thinking, it's like indoctrination. Why not just go back to the Bible? What does the Bible say? It's fascinating that the people who will teach uh, the doctrine of pre-trib rapture with such tremendous confidence and so on are the same ones who will come around and say that they believe in the infallibility of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, but then they admit when they're asked about this particular doctrine, whether they find any specific support for it in the Bible, they admit they don't. So they're taking it on their own viewpoint, not God's. How about you? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. When you hear the word tribulation, how do you respond? What goes through your mind? How would you define tribulation? Are Christians throughout the world already experiencing tribulation? When you understand that more Christians have died for their faith in the past century than in all history since Christ's resurrection... Why do you think you might be the exception? And what did Jesus mean when he warns of the coming massive persecution if they would not be around to experience it? Would Jesus warn them of something that wasn't going to take place? Are all the warnings of Scripture to prepare to endure persecution, like endure to the end, addressed to pagans or professing Christians? What do you think? So what are you, your family, or your congregation and its leadership doing to prepare people you care for to have the kind or level of trusting faith such that they might uh, persevere even amid serious persecution to the end of their time on this planet? And here's another question. Are you able to reconcile your existing beliefs to the repeated warnings of Jesus and his apostles as to the end times? Just some probing questions for prophetic times. And so I want to make available to you my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Chapter 12 is called Re-examining Tribulation. Re-examining Tribulation. I think it would be very helpful. 
very thoughtful. It's not difficult to read. I think it would be very helpful for you. Because, friends, we can't continue this game of let's pretend. Just because you choose to believe that under some strange circumstances, you might somehow be able to awaken someday resting comfortably on the ceiling does not mean that that's the most likely thing to happen. Does it? Just because you believe it. So just because somebody who purports to be a leader, a Christian leader, nonetheless, a premier Christian leader, says, well, I just believe it because I just believe it. No, I don't find any specific passages in the Scripture that clearly support it, but I just believe it. But why? Why do you just believe something that you cannot biblically support? Why not just say, you know what? I want to be honest with you, folk. Uh, In all honesty, I can't find any specific passage in the Bible that supports a pre-trib rapture. But I just choose to believe it. Now, that would be honest. But that's not what they do. They present it as if it's doctrine, if it's gospel truth. When they well know it's not gospel truth, because they say, well, I just believe it. You see our problem? Now, let me ask you this question. Would you be willing to hang your eternal future on the words, well, I just believe it? Whether or not it's in the Bible, whether or not God has spoken in that regard, well, I just believe it. Have you noticed how fickle your own feelings and beliefs are? Shifted by every wind of doctrine, what seems to be popular, what seems to be moving in people's minds and hearts today. Do you know that before John Nelson Darby and before the uh, uh, Schofield Reference Bible in the early 1900s, do you know that before those times, the concept, the very concept of a pre-trib rapture was almost unheard of. So all of a sudden, this fellow John Nelson Darby comes along, and Charles Schofield, a lawyer, picks up on what he says and creates a Bible with notes, his notes in the side, the margin, which is called the Schofield Reference Bible, that became so popular in the early 1900s that it just kind of swept over the country. And it became the doctrine of Dallas Theological Seminary, from which the majority of the pre-trib rapture doctrine proponents come from and are on television and radio all over the country, and writing books. But it all came, if you understand, it all came from a man, a lawyer, who took the Bible, added his personal opinion notes, and when people read the Bible, they actually chose to read his notes as if they were gospel. And that's where it all came from. Were you aware of that? 
So, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is tribulation anyway? It's a very religious-sounding word for trouble, actually, pressure. Uh, Increasing trouble that becomes increasingly troubling. So it involves every aspect of life at some level, and it occurs by degree. Not everyone at every moment or in every location or nation is going to experience this accelerating sense of trouble equally or in the same manifestations. Yet, there is and will be, as Jesus said, as the apostles said, an overarching perception that the world is changing more quickly and with greater negative impact than it normally expected throughout the world. So it breeds a profound sense that something serious is happening that we find difficult to put our finger on, yet is very real. Yet as humans, we're prone to accommodate to it. In other words, just trying to try to go along. Like the frog in the kettle. You know the story. So, this progressively troubling spirit reveals itself in many ways. Right here on the ground, where we live. The historical virtues of life and belief are increasingly assaulted or rejected. We know that. We see it all around us. Truth is falling on hard times. We see that. Legitimate communication fails us in the face of political correctness, multiculturalism, and religious pluralism. We're seeing all that. Natural disasters increase, both in multiplicity and severity. Wars and rumors of local and global conflict are creating emotional and economic uncertainty, aren't they? Anti-Semitism proliferates while open persecution of Christians is paining the sensibilities, whether through legal threats, Islamic beheadings, or amid cultural mocking and disparagement, betrayal of trust among friends and family becomes normative, yet Jesus noted that these are just the beginning of sorrows. Are you beginning to get the point? That was Jesus' viewpoint. So, when the pressure mounts, That's when this word tribulation becomes more and more applicable. The Greek word flips us, translated into English as tribulation. Its biblical context is that its more severe implications, such as grievous trouble, severe trial, or suffering. Its implication and root meaning are expressed in an experience and period of increasing pressure, distress, and trouble resulting primarily from growing oppression and intensifying persecution. And in my opinion, maybe yours, it defies any degree of honesty for a genuine professing Christian in this generation to contend that the true body of Christ worldwide is not enmeshed in a season of such intensifying pressure and persecution. It's all over the world. Increasingly in the United States of America. And that's why I'm writing the book, When Persecution Comes. I've almost finished Chapter 5, When Persecution Comes. What does it look like? How do we know it's really taking place? And then what? Then what? See, it's one thing to talk about persecution. It's another thing to talk about how you and I respond. And that's why we talk about the persecution. That's why Jesus talked about it. That's why Peter talked about 
preparing for suffering. It was persecution that he was talking about. Paul talked about it. He talked about how he, how he personally experienced it. He didn't get raptured out. Peter didn't get raptured out. None of the apostles got raptured out. The untold thousands or millions in China since the Mayo rulership that killed about 40 million Chinese, they didn't, they didn't get raptured out. The Iranian Christians that are under the gun haven't been raptured out. Are you beginning to get the picture? So why is it that we in America think, have convinced ourselves that we are so exceptional that what the Bible says, what Jesus says, what the Apostle Paul says, Apostle Peter, Apostle John, what they all say is irrelevant to us. And we are going to have a pre-trib rapture whether we like it or not. Whether God wants it or not, because we're Americans. Don't you get it, God? (laughs) Isn't that kind of how we think? So somebody might say, well, didn't God say that we're not appointed to wrath? Didn't Paul say that Christians are not appointed to wrath? Indeed, he did. So what does that mean? We'll talk about that in just a few moments. It's not hard to understand. It's very simple. If we want to understand it. So get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. It's a $22 book this month, available to you for only $15. This month only, $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. Today we're talking, we're weaving together the subject of pressure, persecution, suffering, tribulation, trials, all of these things together with biblical prophecy and the rapture. You say, well, do you believe in a rapture? Yes, I do. The reason I believe in a rapture is because God says we're not appointed to wrath. 
The question is, what wrath is he talking about? What wrath is he talking about? Now, if you conclude that Christians are not appointed to the wrath of man, in other words, persecution, rising persecution, execution, all of those kinds of things that Christians all over the world are experiencing as we speak and have been experiencing in spades over the last 100 years. If your view concerning that is, well, uh, and then you have to start stuttering, because if they weren't appointed to wrath, and you conclude that they experienced wrath, whose wrath did they experience? Do they experience the wrath of man, or do they experience the wrath of God? Well, it's obvious they experienced the wrath of man, not the wrath of God, because the wrath of God, according to the Scriptures, is not going to be poured out on the children of disobedience until the end of the age. That's what those judgments in the book of Revelation are all about. So, we have wrong thinking. The reason we have wrong thinking is we're concluding that any trials, any tribulations, any pressure, anything like that that's happening, well, uh, obviously, God must be creating this, making it, so we should be out of here. Now, as long as you're not out of here yet, you'll continue to hold to the pre-trib rapture doctrine. But I guarantee you that all of the saints in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, and in Yemen, and in China, and all over the world that are losing their lives or being imprisoned and put into hard labor, for their faith. They are not concluding that they, they're out of here and that what they're experiencing is the wrath of God. They know it's not the wrath of God, that it's the wrath of man. But if you want to conclude that any trials, tribulations, and so on is the wrath of God, then by definition you have to embrace a pre-tribulation rapture. Because the foundation for a pre-trib rapture is Christians will not have to endure any suffering, persecution, because by definition it's all the wrath of God. My Bible tells me just exactly the opposite, and so does yours. Which means that if we're really honest, if we're really honest, with ourselves. We're going to embrace some other position regarding a rapture. We're either going to embrace what is called a post-tribulation view, which means that the tribulation uh, is going to end the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year period, come at the very end, or you're going to embrace what is called a mid-tribulation view, somewhere in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, which is about a seven-year period, or you're going to embrace what is called the pre-wrath 
rapture, which is somewhere after the midpoint of that 70th week of Daniel, when the wrath of God begins to be poured out on the children of disobedience. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when that is. Now, I want to be really honest with you. I grew up in a pastor's home, traditional evangelical. I grew up in an environment that was exclusively pre-trib rapture. That's how I was raised. That's what I understood. And it was not until about 25, 30 years ago, as I was in the Word of God, and I came to the point where this, is, this can't possibly be right. So I began to search the Scriptures again and came to the absolute conclusion it could not, a pre-trib rapture could not be true because it violates everything else the Bible says. It makes it moot, null, void. It caters only to my sensibilities, Western sensibilities, that somehow we're the exception from everything that the rest of the, the church has to endure, and it won't happen to us because we're Americans. It's not right. It's prideful, as a matter of fact. So, I came to embrace what was called the pre-wrath rapture. In other words, somewhere after the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year period that isn't called the tribulation, it may be a period of tribulation, but it's not called the tribulation. Somewhere after that seven-year period, at the midpoint, there is going to come a time when God himself is going to pour out his wrath on the children of disobedience. And it's most likely going to be about the same time when the Antichrist himself makes his appearance which is going to be about the same time. Somewhere around the midpoint, his appearance will become manifest. Israel will enter into what God calls a covenant with death. The Antichrist will arise. A temple, a third temple will be rebuilt. And ultimately, when he gains his complete power, this counterfeit Christ figure will walk into that temple and declare himself God, and Satan will have accomplished his goal to ascend to the heights of the north and be like the Most High God. At that time, Jesus said, flee. From that moment on, it will strike the uh, what is called in the Bible the time of Jacob's trouble. It will also uh, bring forth the time that Jesus called the Great Tribulation very analogous to the French Revolution and the great terror that came forth in the midpoint of that French Revolution. When that happens, all hell will break loose on this planet. Somewhere around that time or a little later, the Bible does not tell us, God will remove his saints that are still living because he's then going to pour out his wrath on the Antichrist and the children of disobedience. That's what the Bible teaches. 
Now, lest you should think that somehow I have not be, been adequately inculcated into the pre-trib rapture doctrine, let me just say this. When I was nine and ten years of age, one of the chief proponents, early proponents of this doctrine, Jack Van Impey, came to our congregation at the invitation of my father. Jack Van Impey joined us years ago on this program and declared that it was my father who made it possible for him to develop his national ministry. My father gave him that opportunity by bringing him to our church. Jack Van Impey was a great evangelist, great evangelist. Always loved to listen to him play the accordion, too. He could make it walk and talk. Jack Van Impey and his wife, Rixella, came to our home several times for dinner. This was the influence that I had, along with many others. It was very difficult to overcome all of that that had been inculcated and be confronted with what the Bible actually says. I don't put those people down, not even the slightest. In many respects, many of us are on a journey having to be confronted with the truth of the Word of God in ways that perhaps we never comprehended or understood before. We're not talking about progressive Christianity. We're talking about the Holy Spirit making manifest the full reality of the Word of God for our time. I hope this has been helpful to you here today on Viewpoint. Get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. I think that will be helpful to you as well. Also, on our website is a book called The War to End All Wars, uh, and uh, it's a $10 book. It's, it's well worth uh, You're getting a copy of that book. I, I think it will be very, very helpful to you. The war to end all wars. And I want to urge you to become a partner with us, friends. Day after day, we're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home. And to, what we're talking about today is not just a theological issue. We're not here to argue theology. Because the implications of these theological positions are what our conversation has all been about. Because if you believe certain things theologically and they're wrong, it will have tremendous impact and not necessarily for the good. For you, for those you love, and pastors, yes, even for your congregation. How many leaders are going to fear really exploring what the Bible teaches concerning the rapture? Can they dare to shift? No, they won't dare to shift because they think in their mind there's too much power, perks, and position resting on their continuing to teach and preach that doctrine. That's how they think. How do I know? Because I've worked among them, friends. <laughs> I've grown up in the church and in the pastoring field. I pastored for 39 years myself. And uh, look. Pastors are human beings like everybody else. They just are. They have the same temptations. In fact, sometimes worse. More serious temptations. Because the consequences...
for their temptations are severe. That's what the scripture says. Those who teach and preach the word are held to a much, much higher standard than those who merely hear it. Very important times. The book, again, Antichrist, $15. We'll put this $22 book in your hands on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5 for postage and handling. And as you know now, if you've been listening, all of my books, other than Antichrist and Messiah, all of them are available to you during this month alone, September, for $10. We've never done anything like this before. And the reason is because the times are so severe out there, we just feel that we have to get these messages out as quickly as possible and hope that you will help in the process. But make it possible that you'll get multiple copies, you'll give them out, provide them to your friends, your relatives, uh, business associates, your pastor, your parachurch leaders, uh, your friends. <laughs> uh, this is how you can be an ambassador. It's another way that you can be an ambassador, that you can really make a difference. I hope you'll do that. And thanks for joining us. Again, we can't continue on with this program without your financial assistance. You say, well, don't you trust God? Yes, we do. We trust God and he's trusting you. That's how it works. We're not trusting you. We're trusting God. If God wants this program out, then he'll provide by working in your mind and heart. If people don't respond, that's the way it is. We continue on as long as the provision comes. God bless and be blessed. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.